Um, well, welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, I want to welcome some of our some of our church family online. We've got um, oh, my uncle Dick and Dick Murdoch is on, and Cheryl Ramsey, Melissa LaRose, the Cope family. Thank you so much for filling up our uh, our baptismal this past weekend. Um, Stephen Celeste Gay, Randall Benner. Um, thank you so much for joining us online. Um, we just finished our series uh, two weeks ago, going through First Peter. And then uh, if you're here with us today, then you made it through last Sunday where we were talking about how we respond in the midst of uh, all the division and opposition and, and things that are going on in our world today. I don't know if you knew that that was going on. Um, but uh, I, I honestly was praying like, Lord, where should we go from here? And I couldn't get away from it. I don't normally do this, but um, I felt led to continue to go into Second Peter which is um, right after First Peter. And so it kind of just flows for you. You don't have to even find it in your Bible. You know, you just go back to First Peter, goes into Second Peter, which is, um, if you're not familiar, the second letter to the same people uh, that Peter writes. And uh, we see in First Peter chapter 1 who he's writing to. He says this um, in, in verse 1, to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Um, which are places that we've probably never been to, but um, or don't exist anymore in the names that they are in present-day Turkey. These people were kind of scattered around and um, not in their homeland. They're in different places, and they're going through persecution, hard times, um, struggles. They're going through suffering. And, I mean, these believers were really, at this time, when Peter's writing to them, they're going through the ringer, like... They're getting attacks from without, and they're getting attacks from within as believers. Um, they're going through a political crisis. Rome was a superpower that was imploding on itself. They had an emperor uh, named Nero, who you may have heard stories about this guy. He was a true character, a megalomaniac who was actively persecuting and killing Christians. He was creative in it and um, would actually light Christians on fire to, um, to light his dinner parties. As, as torches. Um, not a great guy. And they're in the midst of an economic crisis. Talking about Rome, uh, Rome caught on fire and burned for about a week, which means lives and businesses and homes were destroyed. Much of Rome was leveled to the ground, and uh, which, which led to religious conflict because Nero blamed it on Christians. He said, well, the Christians are like terrorists and they lit Rome on fire and it's their fault. And so what does that do? Well, that breeds all kinds of like fear and division and suspicion of Christians. And what are these, this group of these Jesus-loving people doing? Why would they do something like that? And so which leads to more persecution. So this is, this is kind of the, 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 um, the culture that, they're, that they find themselves in as Peter writes to them. And they're also being attacked from within. Go figure, right? I mean, you get, you're getting attacked from without, and then even inside, uh, there's division, there's opposition. They're dealing with all kinds of false teachers who are trying to combine and hijack the gospel with um, popular ideology of the day. Just kind of saying, well, this is what everybody else thinks, and so we're combine that with the Word of God, and then we'll come up with this new... Um, this new theology. And so they're, they're battling that from within, and there's opposition in there. Um, and Peter is trying to bring encouragement to them, and he's telling them, essentially, and this is, this is hard, but this is what he says. He's like, you're, you're not going to be able to go around it. You're going to have to go through it. 
which is just as frustrating for them as it is for us when somebody says that to us. He says, you're, you're, you're not going to be able to get around this. You're not going to be able to like opt out or time travel around the situation that you're currently facing. You're going to have to go through it, and I'm going to encourage you, and I'm going to bring you, you know, edification, and, and we're going to talk about that, but you're going to have to go through what is in front of your face. And I'm sure they're thinking much like some of the things that we're thinking, which is like, well, you know, um, I just really would like to not go through it. If I get, we just like fast forward. Like if 2020 didn't happen, what would that look like? Like, if we just fast forward to 2021, I don't know if it's going to be much better. But if we could just get to 2021 or, you know, maybe I'm just going to, I'm just going to wait. I'm just going to wait till things quiet down. I'm going to wait till things go back to normal. I'm just going to wait till pressure lets up and then, um, and then, and then we'll move forward. But Peter reminds them, and, and this isn't necessarily popular, but this is, you know, what he's telling these people. He says, listen, you're trying to avoid the pressure, but God turns pressure into power. That's the title of my message today is this, is this reality that sometimes the very thing that we're trying to avoid is the very thing that God uses to, to level us up in him. <laughs> God turns pressure into power. It's this, it's this reality that whether we like it or not, that um, our sense of comfort never qualifies our calling. And so if we wait for our, our problems to go away, if we wait for things to just kind of, whatever, go back to normal, if we wait for things to just kind of quiet down, the pressure to be relieved or the problems to go away, it never qualifies us for our calling. God actually believes and thinks that we should be moving forward even when we're stalling out and fearful and going through struggles and persecution and problems. He's like, um, that doesn't disqualify or qualify the calling that I have on your life that the absence of problems is never the starting point for your progress. Like, God continually wants to work through you, and he's wanting to use the pressure in your life. And so if you're stalled out and thinking like, well, you know, I'm just waiting for the problems of life to go away, then we never will walk in the promises that God has waiting for us. And that, that's, that's a difficult thing, but... but, but but we talked about this last week, that God measures things in seasons, and seasons are always progressing. We don't get to go back. We don't get to hold out in a season and think, I'm just going to stay here, and then uh, we won't have to go. Sometimes, just like right now, have you noticed, like it's getting colder. Winter is coming, right? It, and it doesn't matter whether you like it or not. It doesn't matter if you're comfortable with it or not. It doesn't matter if you'd rather be in Boca Raton or not. Um, you, 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 you're here. And seasons come and seasons go, and we have to walk into them and through them. You can't go around them. We don't get to miss winter unless you do truly go winter in Boca Raton. Um, we, we walk through it as Mainers. That what, that's what makes us hardy. Um, so I love, as we go into this word, that, that's kind of the tenor that, that Peter's addressing these, these same group of people that we've been talking about. And um, if you'd stand with me, as we honor the reading of God's word, we're going to start in 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to go down verses, verses 1 through 11. If you can't find 2 Peter, or maybe this is kind of your first time here, then just go to the book of Revelation and then back up like nine pages, and you're probably there um, in 2 Peter. He starts out here, he says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. 
His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to your goodness knowledge, to your knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, for if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus and Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord God, I I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is always timely because it's timeless. It is always in season. It's never out of season. It always speaks to us in the season that we're walking in. And uh, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't leave this place unchanged by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that your word would go forth, convict hearts, change lives. I pray that we would come to know you to a greater measure. And in the knowing of you, we would begin to walk in that truth. Jesus, we worship you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So we're going to kind of walk down through this together. Um, it's, it's, it's a heavy word. It's, it's, an, un, it's an amazing word. He starts out in, in um, well, I'll just read verse 2. He says, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Doesn't that sound good? How many could use some grace and peace in abundance right now? Like some tranquility and some rest, right? Um, I was talking to someone this morning. They're just like, I, just, I, I left the kids at home with my husband. I got to just come to church, and this has been the best day of my week. Like, I am just excited to get some peace and some rest and some tranquility without people tugging on me all the time. Um, he says, grace and peace be yours in abundance. And then he tells you how. He says, through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our, our, our Lord. This, this whole idea, Peter isn't talking about grace and peace as in like, I just need some me time. I just need to carve out some, some, an hour here or an hour there. I need some more me time, and that's how I'm going to get my grace and my peace. Because what we know is that me time always wears off, doesn't it? As soon as, like, as, soon as we get out of our me time, life is ready to hit us in, in, in smack in the face with a two-by-four, and we realize, I need more me time. Because we can never get enough me time to offset real time. And, uh, and so we walk through this trying to find our grace and our peace in that, and Peter's not talking about that. He's not talking about you just getting some time alone and some, some time where you can just like, oh, I, don't have, I, don't have, I don't have people going on, right? He's talking about this peace that, that he describes as this in abundance, this multiplication, this, this growing peace. And that peace never comes through panic. Listen, I've, I've never, I've, I've gone through some, some difficult times and I've never found peace by panicking. I try. I try to find my peace in panic. I think if I could just panic enough about this thing, if I could just control things enough, then then I would have peace. And I've actually never found peace through panic. 
Um, and yet I, I find that that's, that's usually kind of the route that, I, that, I, that my flesh wants to go. Um, peace isn't present because our problems are absent. We, we don't just find peace because um, everything has gone away. Why? Because everything doesn't ever go away. There's always something that we're, that we're dealing with in life. That's just, that's just life. Peace is not a state of mind. What Peter is saying, what we find throughout the Bible, is that peace is a person, and he has a name, and his name is Jesus. And so he's like, if you want peace, if you want this grace in abundance, hallelujah, yes, tranquility, yes, how do I get that? How do I get more of that? He's like, it is through knowing Jesus. It's literally what he says. He says, if you know Jesus, then you'll know peace. If you know Jesus, you'll know rest. You'll know tranquility. And so I just want to encourage you, if, if you need some peace in your life today, it comes through knowing Jesus. And, and it kind of goes dynamically opposed to the, the way that we usually try to find peace in our life, whether through you know, meditation or medication or, or trying to find, um, if I could just get rid of my problems or control my situation enough, he's like, no, actually that only comes, the peace that it actually lasts and doesn't just wear off comes through knowing me. And Peter's focus, he actually says like 13 times, he keeps, we're gonna find this throughout this, this book, he keeps talking about knowing, having the knowledge of Jesus, knowing Jesus, knowing Jesus, over and over and over again. But here's what, he, here's what I wanna make a very clear delineation. He's not talking about like having an intellectual knowledge of a truth. He's not saying like, well, you should know about Jesus, like you should know your Bible, and, which you should, but he's not saying like, you should just have this intellectual knowledge of Jesus, and that's what's gonna give you peace. Um, he's talking about this living participation in the truth. That's this knowledge that, that, that he's talking about, that he's trying to get to us. It's like, if you want to know peace, you've got to actually participate in the knowledge of this truth of Jesus Christ. Not just knowing that he came, died, rose again, and that kind of thing. So, like, so we don't read our Bibles so that, we can, are able to, so that we're able to just repeat it like, like an incantation. We get into the Word of God because it is designed to work out of you through application. And this is kind of when he talks about like knowing Jesus. He's like, I want you to not just know intellectually, I want you to get it in you so that it can work out of you. This is why I like to write in my Bible. I'll make notes, I'll underline things, I'll highlight things in my Bible because it's kind of like, I think of it like a footprint. Like, I don't know if you, if you write in your Bible, you'll understand. If you, some of you are like, oh, I've never written in my Bible. That's like sacrilegious. Um, and I understand. I get, I get it. But, but um, I'm not like that. Or maybe I'm sacrilegious. And so I, I'll write in there, and then I'll, I'll, I'll go back, and I think of it like a footprint because I'll, I'll be listening to a sermon, I'll be reading, and I'll be like, oh, I remember. I was here before. That's what God said to me. Oh, I, I remember when he spoke that. Like, not that when I read that. I remember when he spoke that. Because there's a difference between reading the Word of God and getting the Word of God in you so that it can work out of you. And what I just, I, I, need, that, I need that to be in front of you because I'm not talking about getting a, on a Bible reading plan, which, which you should do. You should read through the Bible. That, that's a great thing for you to do. I, but it's more important that the Bible gets into you, not just reading it with our mind, but getting it into, into, our, into our hearts. So... Um, because here's the thing, if, if, it, if it doesn't, if it just becomes a book that we read so that we can recite or memorize or read like an incantation, then we can walk away with a cliche but no wisdom. Amen. 
And so the Bible becomes something that looks really good on a mug, but it has, no, it has nothing that sinks down. It's no anchor for us. Because, because let's, just, let's just face it, it's real easy to, to read the Word of God and be able to quote the Word of God when things are going great. But when, when all the stuff hits the fan and everything, the wheels are coming off the bus, that's when, that's when the cliches really don't matter. And it has to be something that's real to you and on the inside of you. That's something that you're saturated in, not just a book that you venerate and, 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 and give mental assent to. Um, my old youth pastor, Marianne Carreri, uh, I got saved through her ministry, and when I was in eighth grade, she used to say this thing all the time, and she would say, you have to know that you 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 know in your knower. <laughs> she said, like, it was, it was powerful for me as like an eighth grader, right? It was like, it was this reality that like, not just to know the word of God, but to know that you know, that you know that you know that you know that you know in your knower. Um, and this is the thing that when we're talking about a changed life and how God's word gets on the inside of you to work out of you, you've got to know that you know that you know and you're a knower. Does that make sense? He continues, verse 3 is probably one of the most powerful verses of this entire letter, so spoiler alert. He says this, his divine power, just, just imagine this, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And that is, that's like drop the mic. Like you're telling me that through the knowledge of Jesus Christ, if the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in me, if I've received Jesus Christ, I have everything I need for a godly life. Uh, I don't know if, you, if you've kind of like wrapped your head around that. Like, that you have everything you need to accomplish the purposes that God has placed in you and on you, that he is enough. To, I mean, do you believe that? The powerful truth, powerful truth. It's like, it kind of reminds me of like a seed, like a seed in and of itself has everything it needs to become a tree. Now, it doesn't look like a tree, it doesn't, it doesn't resemble a tree, but once it's planted, it begins to take on the life of its own, to become what it was intended to become. And when you take the word of God, you, you, you plant it in you, it actually has everything that it needs to be able to fulfill the calling that God has placed on it. And when you rest in that, when you realize that like the word of God, the very word of God has the power of God to fulfill every purpose that God has for it in and through you, then there's a peace, there's a grace, there's a rest, there's a tranquility that, that comes no other way from just resting in the reality that Jesus has this. He's like, he's got it. Um, and no control or anxiety or fears or worry are going to change that. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to impart the life of God into us. And, and when you have the life of God living in you, then it's, it's all you need. It's all you need. You have everything, the Bible says, verse 3, you have everything you need for a godly life. So here's, here's the problem. What's my role in this then? Like, if God does all the work, if it's just the seed and I plant it in my heart because I know that I know that I know in my knower, if God does all the work, why isn't it working? 
Why, why am I still looking a whole lot like me and a whole lot less like him? Why, do I, why am I wondering, like, I, I don't know if I'm growing. I don't know, how do I even know if I'm getting more spiritually mature? How do I know that I'm growing up, not just growing old? Um, and verse 4, he starts talking about it. He says, through these, he has given us his very great and precious promise so that through them you may, and this is the key, participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. Like there is something, there is this, um, I, don't, I don't even know how to explain it. It's a, it's a secret uh, in, 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 in plain open sight that we have this opportunity to participate in the divine nature. That if you want to see power and growth, then you have to partner with the promise that God has in your life. That God does the growing, but you have to water it. Like you've got a weed. Um, God does the growth, but you need to do the gardening, so to speak, right? That, that as the word of God is planted in you, you water it, you weed it, you garden it, you, you trim that. Like go- growth takes cooperation with this thing that he says participate in the divine nature. Like it's this reality, and I think that, um, well, I, preachers like me are probably at fault for this, that like receiving Jesus is not the end. Coming to an altar and receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior is not the end. It's actually the beginning of growth. And, 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 and it's at that point that we cooperate with the Word of God so that it, we start to grow. If, if you have a child and, um, and they're not growing, you get concerned, don't you? Like, you, you, you give birth to a child and, and they're three years old, but they're still uh, nine pounds, six ounces. You'd be, you would be concerned. So concerned you take them to the doctor because it's not right. You see, I, I don't understand. I've got a three-year-old kid. They haven't grown since birth. I'm, oh, can, can, can you help me here? I'm, I'm, I, I think we should be very concerned by this. Why? Because physical growth just happens. It should happen. But spiritual growth doesn't happen by accident. It's actually you have to come into participation with the divine nature. The, the, that the thing that is planted in you must be cooperated with in order to see growth. Paul, Paul writes this um, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. He says, continue. And this is kind of this weirdness of this God does the work, but we're supposed to cooperate. He says, continue to work out your salvation, to work it out. God works it in you, and we work it out. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. It's this mystery. It's this thing that I don't think we're necessarily comfortable with because we like to just believe, you know, God does all the heavy lifting. I've, you know, I came just as I am and I prayed a prayer and, and so I'm saved. I'm going to, going to heaven. But there's this tandem thing that God says, I'm actually inviting you into the life of God that you participate with the divine nature. It's this beautiful thing that I'm working in you, but I need you to work it out. Um. And we, we don't necessarily know quite what to do with that all the time because I, I, I well, like even with exercise, like I'd like to just take a pill and then, and fat would go and I'd get a six pack like that. Wouldn't that be awesome? Maybe that'll come one day and I'll have to like scratch this from my, my preaching, right? But like, I, I'd love to just take a pill and then everything would go away. I'd love to just, I'd love for that thing with the, like the, 
I don't know, that band where you just jiggles and then it just gets, wouldn't that just be awesome? Like if it actually worked? But the, what I've found is that it actually takes the hard work of coming alongside and saying, no, I'm not going to eat that second whoopie pie. Because I ate two yesterday. And, um, and saying, I'm going to submit myself to some um, discipline. I'm going to work out. I'm going to work this out. It's this, it's this kind of sometimes feeling a little bit awkward um, cooperation that, that, that God calls us to. And, and he goes on. He, he actually gives us his workout plan. Like this is his workout plan, okay? He says this, verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort. This is how he knows his workout plan. Make every effort. In other words, this is kind of your, your deal. Like you're, you're going to have to put something into this if you want to get something out of it. He says, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to your goodness, knowledge. Knowledge, self-control, and self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. It's kind of this idea of just like you start out with a five-pound weight, you're going to move up to 10, 15, 20. By the end, you're going to just be this ripped hairless wonder, um, you know, posing, posing. I mean, it's going to be amazing if you just continually to keep adding this weight. And how do you know, how much you know, realize that God uses pressure, he uses weight to grow us, doesn't he? We only get stronger through resistance. And it's true for us physically, and we don't like to realize that, that sometimes that's more true than, than not in our, our spiritual life. He says, add to your faith so you got faith. You, you came just as I am, and you prayed a prayer. And he says, add to your faith, goodness, which essentially means good character. So, so God has placed it in you. Now you've got to work it out of you. Work out good character in you. James 2.26 says this, um, as, the, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. It's this, it's this reality that like, if God's spirit lives in you, then it should come out of you. And, and James even goes so far as like, if it's not coming out of you, I'm kind of wondering if it's in you. Because if it's in you, it, it, it really gets a case of, I can't help myself but come out of you. He says, add to your faith. This is like, you know, five pound weights, okay? This is like, you're going to turn on jazzercise and, and this is the beginning, right? He says, add to your faith goodness. Because a growing faith can't help itself but work itself out in goodness and good character. And then he goes on, he says, add to your goodness knowledge He's reminding us not to separate good character from knowledge. Now, let me, let me explain what this, what this could look like. Um, if you separate or think that like, knowledge is more important than good character, um, when you have good character without knowledge, you get misguided. Think this through with me. When you have good character and you fail to get into the Word of God and have knowledge, then you get led into false teaching. Not because you're trying to, but because, well, you've got good character. You're trying to do the right thing. You're try but without knowledge, you don't know the truth because you don't know the truth. And so you get misguided. The same is conversely true that if you have knowledge without good character, you get religious. We've all seen people like this where you've got knowledge and you know the Bible much better than I do. You can quote it, you know, frontwards, backwards, and in Greek, and, and yet good character is not a part of your life. And so you know the Word of God, you have the knowledge of the Word of God, but good character has not been worked out in you, and so you become religious. And maybe you don't see it, but everybody else around you does, right? 
And then he goes on, he says, add to your knowledge, (laughs) self-control. What's self-control? It's it's when you're able to say no to yourself. Look, I have no problem saying yes to me. It's the, the problem that I have is saying no to me. And um, it's not just knowing the right thing to do, because you can have you know, good character and knowledge, and I can know the right thing to do. Um, the hard part is actually not doing it. That's self-control. He says not just knowing the right thing to do, but, but choosing to not do it. And then, he, and then he goes on. He keeps, I'm telling you, this gets, this gets more and more significant. He says, add to your self-control, perseverance. What's the difference between self-control and perseverance? Well, perseverance is like self-control over a long period of time. This isn't just like not eating the second whoopie pie. This is giving up whoopie pies. But I like whoopie pies. I know. I understand. I do too. But if whoopie pies are bad for you, then you're like, okay, I'm done with whoopie pies and, not, and being done with whoopie pies. It, it, this is doing the right thing even when the pressures and problems amp up. It's really easy to have self-control when we don't have pressure. My dad, we would always joke around, he's probably watching right now, um, when we would go through Lent, I grew up Catholic, and when we would go through Lent, we'd always give, give something up. You know what he would give up? Watermelon. <laughs> Do you know why? Because you can't even buy watermelon during Lent. So it was very easy to give up watermelon. Not that he even liked watermelon, but he would give up watermelon. I'd be like, why? wow, dad's so holy. You know, like he'd give it every year. What are you giving up, dad? I'm giving up candy. He's giving up watermelon again. Watermelon, Wow. And he's really, he knows how to nail that every year, watermelon. Because it's very easy to have self-control when, when we don't have pressure, when, the, when pressure is not upon us. And so he, perseverance is essentially saying, like, even when pressure amps up, I still will walk in self-control over the long haul. It's the ability to endure even when circumstances are difficult. That's perseverance. It's staying married, not just getting married. Getting married is awesome. Honeymoon is amazing. Staying married is perseverance. Anybody can get married. Few stick it out. He goes on, he says this, um, add to your perseverance godliness. Um, Godliness is, is essentially what makes you look weird. It's like holiness. It's like uh, it's choosing to do the right thing even when everybody else around you is not. It's like um, when you choose not to gossip even when all of your friends are intoxicated by it. Um, it's choosing to honor even when everybody else around you is dishonoring. Um, it's choosing to forgive even when they don't deserve it. This is godliness. This is the like, you're weird. Why would you do this? Because it doesn't actually make logical sense and you seem to be losing rather than winning. That's godliness. And, and, um, and then he says, add your godliness, mutual affection. It's actually the Greek word for this. And if you look up in the Greek, um, I, don't, I don't read Greek, but I know how to look things up. Um, it's this word, Philadelphia, which actually means, what well, if you know this, it's a city of brotherly love, right? Brotherly love is, is this mutual affection word. It's the kind of love that 
that you have for your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's this, it's this reality that like we are called, and we talked about this even this, this past weekend, that like we are called to walk in unity even amongst, amongst our diversity. Why? Because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We have the most important thing in common even though we look different, talk different, act different. Um, we are first and foremost children of the Most High God. That's this mutual affection thing. And then, and then he ends it and he says, add to your mutual affection love which this word love is actually the word agape, which is a different type of love than brotherly love. Brotherly love is when we love people based upon our likenesses to each other. Like we have this in common, so therefore we love each other. Agape love is different. Agape love is, li- is loving in spite of differences. Um, this reality that like it's the agape love of God that Christ showed us on the cross. That while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. That very very little to do with any likeness that we had with him. It's because of this unconditional, crazy, outlandish, agape love that God has for us, that Christ died for us. So it's kind of like these things build, right? It's like this, you start out with just like, hey, have some good character. You got faith, it should come out. And it keeps going up, all the way up to who? Jesus it's this, it's this idea, and I don't think it's necessarily always like linear. We're always like skipping steps and missing steps, and then God kind of pushes us back, and like you failed that, that task, let's go back to square three, and you know, you kind of move yourself. But it's this reality that God is continually growing in us to become who? To become like Christ, to become like Him. Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse 14 and 15, Paul writes this. He says that, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried, with, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. It's this idea that like when, when, when we're, we're growing up, rather than just growing old, and these things build on each other. Honestly, the problem is that, and here's the difficult thing that we don't like to talk about, it's that this growth thing that, we're, that we just went through, um, it comes through seasons of challenge. I, I, I desperately want God to um, operate with me like a chore chart. Do you, do you remember um, chore charts as a kid? Some of you, you're like, like when I had no chore charts in my house, right? Like, um, that's kind of a newer thing, right? My mom used to do this chore chart, and so the way chore charts work, if you've never done a chore chart, which is, I know I'm saying it fast, so it's a chore chart. You do a chore, and you get a sticker. If you were, came from a rich family, you did a chore, and you got money. If you came from a family that didn't do that, you did a chore, you got to live. There, so it was an unwritten chore chart. You see what I'm saying? You got, they got to, you got to eat. They, they, they let you stay in the house for another year, right? You didn't have to go in the doghouse, live with the dog 
congratulations, thank you for doing your chores that you should have been doing anyway. But here's the thing, you know, I grew, I grew up, you know, in this, in this new generation where like I want stickers and I want stars and I want to add up to a new Nintendo, baby. And like, you know, I, I, I want, I want, I do, I do good things and then I want a reward. I do a hard thing, I want a blessing. I do a challenge, I want you to um, give me a sticker, Jesus. I want that. I honestly think that that's how God should operate. He, he does not think so, though. Um, it's, it's this reality, and, and this is the, this is the hard, hard reality that um, is just the truth in our lives, is that sometimes, sometimes the reward you get from going through a challenge is your next challenge. <laughs> I, I want a sticker, and he's like, you get a next challenge. Uh, what? That way. He's getting some money or something here. Like, where's the blessing? And he's like, your blessing is that you get to level up. Uh, and, and we say this, you know, you've heard this over the years, you know, new levels, new devils, new, new promotion, new problem. Um, it's, it's a reality that, that is just true in our life. And so um, what we find is that the very thing that we're avoiding is the very thing that God is using to level us up in him. Because unless you walk through a valley, you don't get to get to the mountaintop. Everybody loves mountaintop experiences. Because you get the beauty. You, you stand up on the mountaintop and you can see on a clear day as far as the eye can see. And you can see all of the other mountaintops and destinations. And you can see all the peaks, but you don't see the valleys. You don't. We can see all the destinations, but we don't see the difficult route that it's going to take to get there. And I think that many times um, God will show me a, a peak because if he showed me the uh, valley that I, have, I would have to climb to get there, um, I'd probably abandon the journey. And I, just, I guess what I would say to you, if you're walking through a valley in your life, don't allow how you feel to abort what you're called to. If I allowed my feelings, you know, I, I'd quit every Monday. Like, it would just be, no, it would be, Monday, I'm done. All right, thank you. I'm out, right? Because you've got to get to the point where, like we said in the beginning, like that you know 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 and you're knower, where it overrides your emotions. My emotions will tell me every day, ah, oh, we're done. And, and, and not, not just in ministry, not just in this, like, you need this in your marriage to know that you know that you know that you're called to this. You need this in, in your parenting, to, to know that you know that you know that you know and you know where that God's called you to this. You need this in your calling. You need this in the career that God's placed you in to know that you know that you know. Because listen, your emotions will come and tell you it's too hard. You can't do this. But God's saying, I'm asking you not to go around it, but to go through it. Why? So that you can walk through the valley to get to the mountaintop that I've called you to. Because you don't get to go to the mountaintop without walking through the valley. And sometimes we look at people and we're like, man, it must be nice. You see them on the mountaintop and you think, yeah, it's an overnight success. Get another one. And they're like, um, excuse me, you don't realize the valley that I just walked through to get up here. And you don't realize the valley that I'm heading down into to get to the next destination that God's calling me to. <laughs> the pressure is what prepares us for power. 
And sometimes we think that pressure is a punishment and God's like, no, 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 you're, you're miscalculating this whole thing. I'm actually calling you to walk through the valley because you need pressure to be able to pull out of you what is already in you because you have greatness in you. James chapter 1, verse 12 kind of describes this really well. James says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive, I don't even know what this looks like, but it sounds awesome, the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. That's, I mean, I'd like to see that. That would be awesome. We moved into a house about a, a year ago, a little over a year ago, and a new house, and we, um, we, I was so excited because we had apple trees in our backyard, and I've always dreamed of having apple trees in my backyard, uh, just going out and just pulling an apple off a tree and eating it. It was just a dream of mine. I don't know. It's kind of weird. Um, and and, and I'd, tell, I'd tell people, I'm like, so cool. We got like four apple trees in our backyard, and, and then they would warn me. They would say, just be careful. Well, what, do you, what do you mean be careful? You got to take care of them. Well, well, okay, I'll, I'll take care of them. You got you to prune them. So, well, they haven't, oh, all right, I guess. Well, don't, not too much, you'll kill them. And I'm like, what are you, I'm terrified now that I'm going to ruin these trees that I'm so, I was so excited about. And they're just like, well, you just be careful here because these trees, you know, you got to prune them, but not too much or you're going to kill them. And so I was talking to this guy that knows a lot about apple trees and this, he said something so profound. And, and if you don't write anything down, write this down. It's this, um, even a good tree becomes unfruitful unless it continues to be pruned. (laughs) That's preaching better than you're listening. He says, even a good tree becomes unfruitful unless it continues to be pruned. Thank you, (laughs) ma'am. And I wonder if in our attempt to avoid pain in our lives, we, we actually can cause ourselves to become unfruitful. And, and, and here's the reality. It's, it's a harsh reality. Some of us are, are good trees that, that, that bore a lot of fruit but are not bearing fruit right now because we've been avoiding pruning. Yep. And God's like, this is not a punishment. I'm actually, I'm actually calling you to prepare for more power. Because we said last week, like, we like to measure time in, like, minutes, seconds, you know, weeks, years, all that kind of stuff. But, but God always measures things in seasons. Ecclesiastes 3 says, there's a time for everything. There's a season for every activity under heaven. And the problem is that oftentimes I want success out of season. I, I, I want to be able to reap a harvest when it's, when it's time to till the soil. And God's like, I'm, this is the season you're in. Walk in that. You can't get around it. You got to walk. You got to walk through it. And I think that you know, many times God is more concerned with making us fruitful than He is successful. Let me read you verse eight. We're almost done. He says, "For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive." I think in the New King James Version it says, "unfruitful." in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and this is kind of to sum this thing up, is that the goal that God has in your life is that you would be fruitful, not successful. And um, so what's the difference? What's the difference between successful and fruitful? Um, success is usually measured by what we produce for ourselves. 
I built a great career, made a lot of money, did all these things. But fruit is, fruitfulness is defined by what we produce for others. Fruitfulness doesn't necessarily benefit me. Fruitfulness provides food for other people. And um, if our vision of success in the Christian life is a microphone and a stage rather than a water pitcher and a towel, then, then I believe that we would truly see God changing our culture in shocking ways. I think we've done ourselves a disservice by creating Christian superstars. Since when is what I do success? I would love to see people not just be able to speak well, but to love well. To walk in it, whatever it is that God has put into your life, to fulfill the calling that God has placed into you, to take the seed of the word of God to plant it in you so that you become to ever-increasing glory as you walk in step and as you grow in step, not just grow older, but to grow up into him who is the head, Jesus Christ. That's the whole point of this thing. Why don't you stand with me? He says in verse 9, but whoever does not have them, like what we just talked about, all these like leveling up things, he says is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Peter's saying that um, we can become so nearsighted that we're essentially blind. Now, here's, here's the interesting thing. What is happening to us spiritually is actually happening to us physically in our world today. Did you know that we are becoming more and more nearsighted? You know why? This. We become more and more nearsighted because we, we're, just, we're just staring at this. God, I know you have a future for me, but I can't see it. God, I know you got a, a hope for me. I can't see it. God, I know you got a plan. I know you got, I know you got a vision for me, but I can't, I can't really see it. And studies say that we're literally um, causing ourselves to become so nearsighted that we're blinded. And I would argue that it's not just happening physically, but happening spiritually. That all of the rings, dings, banners, budget, buzzes, notifications, um, what, like, like to pretend that they're super important. I, I need to check it. I need to click it. I need to, I need to read it. I need to scroll it. I need to heart it. I need to like it. I need to comment on it. I need to scroll. 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 But what if the thing that is right in front of our face is actually a distraction rather than a destination? And I'm not talking about technology. This is not about technology. It's this reality that sometimes the thing that is right in front of our face, sometimes it's the pressure or the problem that we're currently facing or the valley that we're walking through. We think that that is the point. And God says, I've never called you to camp out here. I've actually called you to be a sojourner as you walk through this life. There will be valleys, but you walk and keep walking till you hit the next mountaintop. I've called you to that. And you can't go around if you've got to go, you've got to go through it. You've got to go through it. And he ends it. He says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, I love it. He says, you will never stumble and you'll receive a, a rich welcome. I don't know what that looks like, but I would love a rich welcome when I, into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus. I don't know. Maybe you just get a normal welcome and then there's a... And you get announced. I, I, that would be cool, though. I mean, come on. That would be 
a rich welcome. I'd like the rich welcome. That would be, that'd be, that'd be a huge honor, you know, as you enter into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, you won't stumble if you walk into this, if you continually not just have the knowledge of the word of God, but the word of God gets in you and you work it out so it comes out of you, you will go from glory to glory. You will grow up, not just old. And it comes through pressure. He turns pressure into power. He turns pressure into power. So we're going we're gonna to worship here today, and, and here's what I would love. Um, the Lord brought me to, it's Luke chapter 13. Um, it's this lesser known miracle that maybe you've read, maybe you haven't read before, but it's about this woman, Luke chapter 13, who had, was afflicted by a spirit that caused her to be bent over. Now, that was the instance that she was hunched over. Uh, so I'm just imagining this woman, she literally, whatever the problem was, all she could do was stare at what was right in front of her face. She was staring down at what's on the tip of her feet. And the Bible says that when Jesus laid hands on her to free her, that she was able to stand up straight and she praised Jesus. It's kind of this weird, lesser known miracle. It's, we find it in Luke chapter 13. But, but I, I, the Lord was like, this is a shadow of our generation. As we walk through our days, just staring down, looking at what is right in front of our face. And sometimes if we're in a season of a valley, we're thinking, this is where I am. This is all there is. This is all there's ever going to be. This is the only thing that's ever going to happen in my life. I can't ever have hope for anything outside of this. I'm always going to be in this valley. I'm always going to be in this job. I'm never going to have any, any financial freedom. I'm always going to be this. My kids are always going to be in this situation. My friends are always going to be. I don't even have any friends because this is the place that I'm in. I'm feeling alone. I'm feeling dejected. I'm feeling like there is nothing else. And Jesus is like, would you just lift your head up? The Bible actually calls him the lifter of our heads. Do you realize that he's like, I, look, I understand that you're going through this, but I'm actually, if you wouldn't camp out here, I got more for you. If you take this pressure, I'd like to make it into power because I'd love for you to just lift your head up just enough so that you can see. I know all you're going to be able to see this and I know you're going to see the peak and you're going to see the destination and you're not going to understand what you're going to have to go through to get there, but I'm just going to tell you it's worth it. It's worth it if you just stop trying to avoid it and wait until things settle down. Wait till the pressure goes away. Wait till the problems go away. Wait till people get back to, wait till things come back to, if you would just continue to walk through it, God wants to turn that pressure into power. He says, God, if you trust me, if you trust me, I just want you to know there are more hills to climb more vistas to see, more places to go because you have greatness on the inside of you. And so Jesus, right now as we worship, I pray over each and every single person. God, I pray that the greatness inside of them would come to fruition. Lord, as, we, as we're in this place of, of and I, I don't know if I should turn left or right. I don't, know, I don't know where I'm supposed to go. And is this going to be, the, is this what you've called me to, God? Lord, I pray that we would see your face, that you would be the lifter of our heads, that we would see you and what you've called us to. And it's not always what's right in front of our face, because usually that's a distraction to keep us from where you've called us. Lord, I thank you that you've called us to more, and that we're not called to camp out in the valley. 
Lord, I pray you'd lead us on. I pray you would be our all, like Katie was saying, that you would be our peace, that you would be our joy, that you would be our all in all, our shepherd. God, that, our banner that we walk behind. Jesus, I pray that you would be that in our life. You're our healer. Our healer. Our healer. So Jesus, we worship you. We lift you up. And, we, and we're not going to allow or walk away or run away from the thing that's in front of us. We're going to walk through it knowing that you're on the other side of it. And so we lift your name up above ours. We lift you up above ours. I, I pray, God, that you would be the lifter of our heads this morning, that we would see greater things that you've done, greater things that you want to do in our life. Let's worship him with all that we have in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship together.